Well, good morning, everybody. Um, Hello again. We're just going to pray before we talk about uh, God's Word. Lord Jesus, thank you for your Word. Uh, Thank you that the more we know you, the more we want to know you. Uh, We can never have our fill. We always want to get to know you better. We always want to enjoy your goodness. And we pray that you would help us, that you would help uh, our kids, our teenagers, uh, that you would help everybody watching to be able to engage with you and learn from you this morning. May we be closer to you as a result of listening to your word be explained. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I hope you've got your kids' sheet uh, ready this morning. But actually, the very beginning of your kids' sheet there, what does that have to do, do you remember, with 1 Peter? I wonder if you remember, when we were talking about 1 Peter, how we said, uh, Peter points out, we are travelers. This world is not our home. And so in that way, We look at that suitcase and that camping tent and we think there are some things about this world that we shouldn't feel at home uh, with. And we're looking forward to our true and eternal home, our forever home with Jesus. Until then, we're travelers. And uh, there's a few options on your sheet there for things that you do and that you don't do when you are just on holiday. So, for example, are you supposed to buy small gifts when you're traveling on holiday? I think so. Uh, Perhaps you might want to go to a zoo or something like that. Would you, if you're traveling abroad and you're not going to go back there, buy a season ticket for a year's worth of visits to some attraction? You wouldn't do that, would you? That'd be crazy. Now, would you stay in a nice hotel? I think so. Would you redecorate the hotel? Would you repaint the walls because you don't like them? No, that would be crazy, right? And in that same way, Peter keeps telling us that there are some things about this world that we look at and we go... This really shows that this is not my home because when my dad is king, when God uh, is king of the whole world, this isn't going to happen. Like tears, crying, suffering. But the amazing thing is, um, Peter calls us in this passage today to love others with a love that sacrifices, with a love that costs us something. And so far we've seen that in 1 Peter, when things go well, we can praise God. We are serving him. When things are rough and tough, actually, we praise God because he's transforming our hearts and making us more ready for eternity with him. Do you see why 1 Peter is really awesome so far? Uh, Because he's going to teach us, uh, by the Spirit of God, what it looks like to be travelers on earth. So this morning, we want to talk about not just things Christians will have, but things they have right now. So what do we have that is special? When we become Christians, we are born a second time into God's family. But how do we grow? And if you don't eat, you don't grow in our passage this morning. You have noticed that in the previous verses that we've been talking about, um, look at verse 3 to verse 21, for example. They both begin and end with hope. Whereas our next section now, uh, verse 22 of chapter 1, begins and ends in chapter 2, verse 10, with now. We are now talking about things Christians enjoy, privileges of God's people right now. So it's almost like you had in the past, um, this is what you will have, okay? Privileges, uh, being sharpened so that in eternity you enjoy God. Um, But this is what you have now. So let's talk about that. Another thing to mention is, when we talk about what you have now, actually, when we get to chapter 2, verse 11, we're going to see uh, lots of commands for how Christians live around people who are not Christians. 
But right now, uh, our discussion is how do you love other Christians? So these Christian-to-Christian relationships, and we're going to see that from verse 22 onwards, all of those you are plural. So it's yous, I guess you could say it, uh, because we're all exiles traveling together. And we're going to see that we should love God's people deeply, so God's people love deeply, and God's people crave Jesus passionately. They want more of Jesus So God's people love deeply. Let's talk about that for a minute. And let me ask you, would you be able to know, especially if you're a kid listening, how were you born? Do you know that? Uh, I don't mean the birds and the bees, although do ask your parents about that later on. But Peter says that we are born again into God's family. And how were you born? Again, it's when we hear and respond to God's word. In other words, how does someone become a Christian? How do they start being part of God's family? Well, look at chapter 1 with me. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 2, it's by God's choice. He's foreknown and chosen the people who are going to be part of his family. Verse 3 of chapter 1 says, it's because he's merciful to us that you can become God's child. And then closer to our passage, verse 21, it's by believing God's word and trusting in what it says about Jesus. And verse 22 by obedience to God's word, which is another way of saying in the book of 1 Peter, uh, by believing. So there's an element of God choosing us. There's an element of us being invited uh, to put our trust in God and making a choice. And that's a complicated equation that I'm not going to mention to you today uh, and kind of decipher for you uh, God's sovereignty and uh, human responsibility because 1 Peter is not interested in that just yet. But although 1 Peter isn't interested in discussing this big uh, theological question, he wants to tell these churches who are suffering, these exiles, all about what happens when you do believe this truth about Jesus. So the amazing thing is the results of God's word in our hearts, those changes that God makes, uh, they're not lost on a whim. Peter is going to say uh, that when someone becomes a Christian, verse 22, they are set apart and made pure and that has that flavor of being set apart to be God's family. And when God begins that work in our hearts, that's not going to go away because look at verse 23 onwards. How is that word that we have believed described? It's enduring. It's imperishable. It cannot be destroyed. cannot be taken away. And Peter quotes Uh, In contrast there, Isaiah chapter 40, to remind us that not even our lives last forever. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. It withers. Flowers fade and fall. What a beautiful picture of actually how life accurately is. Uh, And in case you're wondering, you might think, well, Christians talk about eternal life all the time. Why is Peter saying that actually our lives don't last Well, there's no contradiction here because Peter is pointing out that our physical bodies, well, they're going to die. Our hearts are going to stop beating someday. These bodies won't last forever uh, until the resurrection when we are raised again, if you are a believer in Jesus. But we feel keenly, don't we, that uh, lots of things around us aren't going to last forever. None of our possessions, even people that we know, don't feel permanent. For example, our year sixes at the moment are very much feeling the the change, uh, that things fade, that they don't last. Um, Some of you have moved house a lot. You certainly feel that. But yet, Peter says, there is something here that does last, something that has eternal consequences, something that is forever, and that's 
a life that is built on the word of God. Peter says, when we begin to live this new kind of life from verse 22 onwards, we're purified by obeying the truth. It's a kind of life that is beautiful. It's rewarding. But above all, it doesn't end. It's not just uh, living marvelously though it is under the lordship of Jesus Christ for just a short time, but actually for eternity. And because these words uh, that promised eternal life never end, that means we can trust that our lives with Jesus will never end. We've learned in previous talks, uh, you look at verse 18 of chapter 1, for example, that any other life that isn't built on the word of God is empty. Verse 18, verse 24, it will wither away. And those empty relationships might have been based on uh, tradition, might have been based on money, on anything other than the word of God. And it's worth us reminding ourselves that what we have now, if you are a Christian, that will last. There's none of this pie in the sky, you know, we're not pie in the sky sort of people. We enjoy God right now. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The reason why this is relevant as well is because who is Peter writing to? People who are being persecuted, people who are suffering. And when we are in pain, anything other than our situation looks great. But actually, Peter is saying, look at the first 21 verses of chapter 1. Look at what you will have. But look now in our passage, verse 22 into chapter 2. When you are transformed by God's word, something you have right now, is a supernatural love, a sincere, deep love from the heart for one another that nobody can destroy. What does it mean to love somebody like this? Well, into chapter 2, we already begin talking about that because this deep and sincere love is described by what's not there when we love deeply from the heart. It's a love that puts away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. In other words, it changes the way we treat other people. There's no evil intention when uh, I come to uh, speak to a brother or sister in Christ. It shouldn't be. Uh, or deceit, misrepresenting myself. It changes the way we speak about other people. There's no slander, no lies of any kind. Relationships with trust, because that's how God has treated us. It changes the way we behave around and even feel, actually, towards other people. There's no hypocrisy. There's no difference between who I am here in the pulpit right now in front of you and who I am when you come to my house or when you speak to me in the week. I love this idea actually of talking about hypocrisy because you may or may not know that when I talk about a hypocrite, I'm referring back to a, world, a word that is way back from the Greek theater in ancient times that used to mean an actor, someone who would wear a mask. And that's how you knew what sort of character they were playing. So one moment, I'm the person with envy. Another moment, I'm the person who perhaps pretends to be good. And that has come to mean, uh, come to take a new meaning nowadays, where you could say, there are certain people who are two-faced, aren't they? They uh, have one mask for their friendship circles, one mask around Christians, one mask around other people. Loving deeply can't have that. Because loving deeply is imaging and reflecting the love that God demonstrated through Jesus Christ. Loving deeply can't, for example, envy, Peter says, because envy says to God, you did not give me um, everything that I need uh, in your word. Envy says that. And most of all, if you look at verse 7 of chapter 1, 
here's something that envy in relationships misses, the opportunity for God to use that relationship, that difficult relationship, to refine my faith. And we talked about that. You can go back to that sermon again and listen to it. Perhaps uh, if you're struggling with envy particularly uh, and you are uh, part of God's people, you trust Jesus, read Psalm 73. Because like what Peter is saying about anything built not on God's word won't last, Psalm Psalm 73 again tells us um, that when we look at someone who has it easy and they don't trust in Jesus, we need to remind ourselves But we are building on God's word, the imperishable, enduring, abiding word of God that doesn't perish, uh, doesn't wither or fade away. That's uh, why we get into verse 24 language, that sometimes we look at other things other than the life God has designed for us, and we look at it as being very glorious and impressive, and God is saying in his word here, verse 24, actually, anything that is glorious, but not done for God, by God, through God's word, will fade. Don't envy that. But then when these things are removed from verse 1 of chapter 2, we end up fulfilling the command that Jesus has given to his people. John chapter 13, verse 35, they will know you are my disciples by your love. When we look at Jesus' love, the way he loved, that's the supreme example of love like no other, isn't it? What his people are called to do. And actually, if we don't have a right view of ourselves as sinners, as broken, uh, deserving of God's judgment, in need of Jesus' time for our place, then if we don't do that, if we don't see ourselves as that, we're never going to understand God's love for us, that, that it's impossibly gracious. And we won't, therefore, be able to love others with this deep, sincere love from the heart. Because if I think deep down, I'm actually better than you, then I can't love you like this. This love requires being born again. Now that's very different, isn't it? To all of the kind of subscription services and the shows that they put on uh, sometimes, when you think about the love that you see there, even between friends, it's, it's either something that I initiate. If I start, I need to chase you up or there's no love, okay? Either you chase me, for example, or there's no love for you. If I start to love you and it becomes too costly in our friendship, you're demanding too much of me, I quit. If you can't repay my love and do the same for me that I've done for you, well, then maybe I'll fall out of love. And the amazing thing is when you contrast that with um, Jesus, you see, how did Christ love without waiting for us to start loving him? We weren't interested in God, and he said, I will rescue you and die for your sins and give you new life and show you that it's all true because I'll be raised from the dead. This was at great cost to himself when we were in danger of judgment and he doesn't expect that we can repay him in full and treat him exactly the same. Amazing, this challenge. So what could loving one another sincerely from the heart look like in your situation? Could someone watching the way that we live here at Walton Church say, um, wow, what love they have for each other. I want to know this God who has so transformed their lives. Who are you finding difficult to love perhaps today, this week, or in this season of life? There'll be a time when we'll talk about loving people who don't yet know Jesus, uh, and that's going to be in verse 11 of chapter 2. But for now, think about perhaps people from our own church or other Christians. I won't sugarcoat it. There might be people who you want to avoid because you really don't like them, but they're believers in Jesus. 
And Peter is saying, what kind of act of deep love can you display that shows a new community where the same barriers that you see out there are not seen in here because you've been born again? What are we like, for example, when we are around people who are not the same as us? They don't make the same amount of money. They don't dress like us. They don't look like us. Perhaps other Christians, uh, Christians who have a different view of church governance or a different view of worship. You know, and you've been there, uh, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, where somebody will look at another Christian and say, look at them worshiping like this, you know, or look at them doing all sorts of other things that I wouldn't do. And actually, Peter is saying, love one another, love one another. What a huge challenge for me, because I'm reminded when Peter says, you were born again from an imper- the unfading word of God, you were also given a new heart that is capable of learning to love difficult people, loving hard people. Because every time you find it difficult, you remind yourself, God has loved me even more than this. And I can remind myself and tell myself, when that difficult relationship comes, um, I can tell myself, look, oops, sorry, clicked one too far. Um, I can remind myself and say, this relationship with my Christian brother or sister that is difficult to love is actually an opportunity for God to refine me and remind me what loving deeply really means. So let's be encouraged to do that because otherwise uh, we are putting our community at risk, at risk of being slowly eroded by factions, by tensions that in the new community that Christ is creating don't need to exist. Um, Because think about it. Thinking about community, you might have wondered, what do people in our local community here at Walton think about our church? What would it be like if we actually did church reviews? Now, if you had to choose between giving one star or five stars to a church, now, I know that some of you who are teachers, uh, you keenly feel this feeling uh, when Ofsted is coming to your school, and you might be really glad that they have already promised over the next few months they are not going to uh, inspect schools properly, given the cir- current circumstances. But think, thinking about reviews, imagine this, okay? You have heard of this wonderful restaurant. The restaurant's called The Shed at Dulwich. Maybe you've heard of this restaurant, maybe you haven't. Uh, the amazing idea about this restaurant is that the menu is not based on food groups or anything like that. It's based on moods. So you go in and you pick the mood that you want to feel, and they'll bring the food to you. You read the reviews, you see the pictures, like the picture that's on there, and you're just fascinated. And it's by appointment. You can't go there unless you're invited or you get a table, which you can never really get, it feels like. The most remarkable thing about this restaurant is it never existed. It was created by uh, a journalist from Vice as a spoof restaurant to show how fake you can be and still get number one on TripAdvisor, which he did accomplish. You can watch that documentary at your own time. And by the way, the picture of the food that's on there, it's actually one of those things that you put in your toilet. Um, It's not even food um, that, that you put in your toilet to make it smell nice. Now, that level of deceit. Imagine that. He would have to pick up the phone and say, the shed at Dulwich, or however he would speak, to perpetuate a lie, putting a different mask on. That is the danger, that if we don't love one another like this, we could be fakers to the rest of the world. Now, I'm really, really glad to say 
that my experience over the last year and a half, in a, in a bit, uh, here at Walton Church, um, I have absolutely every confidence, you know, I was just talking with Meg and my wife about this um, earlier in the week. We are surrounded here by people who love the Lord Jesus, who have loved us at great cost to themselves sometimes. And I'm really blessed to say I wouldn't be afraid that anyone coming to our church and spending any length of time would come away with uh, any idea other than these people love each other. And I pray, let's be encouraged to carry on to do this, to be a place that actually exemplifies the sorts of relationships that other people outside can see, well, there's no discrimination here. There can't be any racism here because they love one another. I want this love. I want to meet this Jesus. Christians have been doing this for a long time. Um, that's why Christians have rescued babies in ancient times. That's why they founded universities for all to learn. That's why they led the abolition of slavery movement and more. But in summary, God's people love deeply. I hope you've got that. Um, now, for our second point, um, God's people crave Jesus passionately. You may have realized, um, if you've been any length of time around a toddler or a baby, that when they cry, it's very clear uh, that they are uh, uneasy. And what you may not have realized is that there is a certain frequency in a baby's cry that is meant to annoy you, that is meant to rouse you from your bed in the middle of the night uh, to tell you, I'm hungry, feed me. And actually, because I'm a, I'm a cat person, I've discovered that other animals, pets, particularly cats, they mimic the same frequency, 300 to 600 hertz, uh, so that we will bring them food at the right time. I think it's because of things like that that Peter begins to use in chapter 2 this image of a baby craving milk, craving food, because we are designed to be hungry. And often, you know, it might be the case with you guys, uh, that if you've got kids in the house, you feel like your food is slowly dwindling, or very quickly dwindling. Uh, if you have teenagers particularly, but there might be nothing in your fridge at this point. Um, but when you're born again, you're also designed to be hungry for the spiritual milk of God's word. Peter uses this baby and milk analogy uh, very different to other parts of the Bible. You might uh, have noticed that in uh, 1 Corinthians, for example, Paul speaks of milk as something that uh, you should have had when you were a baby Christian, but now we should have solid food. Peter doesn't use it like that. In the book of Hebrews, again, you have this idea of you should, uh, you're drinking milk, you should be eating solid food uh, because solid food is for the mature. But actually, when we get to Peter, Craving milk is very, very positive. That's the word of God. That's what he's been talking about, the enduring word of God. And if we look at verse 2, what do they want? Newborn babies who have been born again, the pure spiritual milk. Complete contrast to what he's just mentioned. There's no deceit in the word of God. There's no lying. Uh, there's no hypocrisy. There's no pretending something that you're not. Um, because God's word is that eternal, permanent, enduring. When everything else fades away, it stays the same. So you crave more of it. Look at verse 2 again. The same way that you uh, have your spiritual birth, that you become a Christian, is the way that you grow. You know, sometimes I've met Christians actually who seem to uh, pit kind of uh, God's word against God's spirit. Like they'll say something like, oh, well, you know, I'm more of a spirit-filled Christian. And then somebody else will say, actually, I'm more of a word-focused 
You know, I'm a Bible nerd. I'm more of a word-focused Christian. Or somebody might say, hey, check this out. I've bought a spirit-filled Bible. I hope you know that the Bible is God's word and it's spirit-filled, it's spirit-inspired. Whatever Bible, uh, if, it's, uh, a, a, if it's a Bible. But if we're not careful, we can forget, can't we, that God's number one way for Christians to grow is the Bible. You might have seen uh, some of those YouTube videos where somebody will get a toddler and introduce them to something really unhealthy. It might be that they give them some sweets and they get hooked on those sweets and all they want to eat is those sweets. Or they might try some Coke and all they want is Coke and ice cream or something like that. Because food that is bad for us is really addictive actually, isn't it? But the food that is God's word um, is pure, it is good, it is wholesome, it will bring you closer to God And this might be a time when actually you want to ask yourself, in this lockdown period, what have I been eating? Have I been eating a lot of media, a lot of Netflix? Uh, Have I been eating just a lot of news, actually, um, that doesn't read the world as God's word portrays it? What have we been binging on um, with all the time that we have in lockdown? Because as I say, food, especially junk food, can be addictive. Things that are not true, and the best way to prevent us Uh, from eating junk food is going into God's word, asking all the questions, because Peter is going to tell us in just a moment that once you taste of God's goodness, sometimes there seems to be a chasm between us and getting to our Bibles, when we get to it, we can taste of God's goodness, and we don't want anything else. We want more of him. But you can't taste more of something which you haven't had before. It's not, it's not something you miss if you haven't tasted it in the first place. And to some of you this morning, what I'm saying seems like nonsense. When I'm talking about tasting God and enjoying his love and feeling like he's with you because you've not experienced that yet. You don't know the loving uh, and enjoyable and fantastic God that we are talking about. I'd love for you to find that out today for yourself because you can. You don't have to be in a church Uh, to pray. You don't have to be in a church to say sorry to God for your sins and to come and become part of his family. I'd love for you to be able to sing with me Psalm 34 verse 8 for your own life. The fantastic thing about this psalm is David was pretending to be insane just in order to survive because he was being persecuted. Yet this man who faced real hardship can say this of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. If you fear him, you lack nothing. If you seek him, you lack no good thing. I love this because it's almost a challenge, isn't it? It's almost like he's saying, come and try God. Try this. That's what I, Tiago, am saying to you this morning. That's what I did when I was 15 years old and I had hit rock bottom. And I said, God, if you're out there, listen to me. I want to know you. Um, And he did. I met Christians who taught me the Bible, um, and it had the ring of truth to it. And I would say to you today, this is a God who answers. This is a God who can be tasted. So why not speak to him? Why not message us on our Facebook page or in the number that we put uh, every week in our uh, videos? We love to hear from you because that's the role of God's word in our lives. It gives us Spiritual birth, we are born because we believed in it for the first time. And spiritual nourishment, because we grow. The way that we're born is the way that we grow um, as Christians. 
Now, I remember when I used to do karate uh, as a young person, one, one, uh, one week I kept coming uh, to karate lessons and just feeling dizzy and not feeling well. Uh, I couldn't exert myself. I, I couldn't do all the stuff. And my master just said, listen, what have you been eating? Um, what have you had for breakfast? And I would realize that I hadn't eaten anything nutritious. And therefore, it was no surprise that I wasn't uh, uh, being able to do all the stuff that was asked of me uh, in the dojo. And in a similar way, would it be any surprise if you find that God has not been growing you, Christian, if you haven't been investing in his word every day, if you haven't been listening, taking notes, and enjoying him? That's why God's word is central here at Walton Church. Because as a leadership team, we know it's by this spiritual food that God changes lives. And that's what we would want for you. So have you tasted of God's goodness? Have you experienced intimacy with him in prayer through the love of others, supremely by seeing and reading his word and knowing he's there with you? That's why God's people crave Jesus passionately. They want more of him. Uh, someone captures this thought um, from a few hundred years ago called Bernard of Claveau, and here's what he says. We taste thee, O thou living bread, he's speaking to God, and long to feast upon thee still. We drink of thee, the fountainhead, and thirst our souls from thee to fill. Can other people say that? That's what we're like as Christians. We hunger for God's word. We love it. And if you're a teenager this morning, can your parents see that in your free time of lockdown and of not having school, you salivate for Bible time. Kids, can even your brother or sister see that God is changing your heart? If not, talk to him. Single people, married people, single parents, university students, could our friends, our spouses, our colleagues see that like verse 2, God is growing us until that salvation is complete, until Jesus comes back. Let's ask God, to continue to transform us as his community. And that's where I want to leave us. Um, We're going to remind ourselves that if you've been born again, then you love each other. That's part of your new life. Oh, sorry, clicked on the wrong one. You love each other as part of God's new life. And uh, God helps you to crave more of him because we've tasted of his goodness and we don't want to go back. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing as we finish uh, this time of looking into God's Word. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given me a new birth, that you are teaching me to love other believers in Christ, and that as we continue to read uh, about uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to talk about how to live uh, around people who don't love you and trust you yet. Father, we pray uh, that those who don't yet crave you passionately, who don't, uh, 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 are not yet hungry for you and are listening and watching, that they would be, that they would know that you are waiting with open arms for them to come and ask you for spiritual food, for forgiveness for their sins, so that they would live forever without fear. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen.